All right. Lord, we need you. We need you. We need your spirit. We need your anointing. We need, Lord God, for your revelation and your understanding to come into this room. We ask that you give us what it is that you need to give us today. Let, Lord God, your work and your kingdom go forward through this message and through your people as their strength. And in Jesus' name, amen. All right. So I put on the Facebook. Is anybody reading ahead when I put on what you guys are reading? I have at least two. That's good. The rest of you all need to get... (laughs) Start reading. Um, So this week we're actually covering Genesis 12 through 24. We're jumping back into our story. This is, just so you understand, folks, this is going to grow us. There are a lot of things in here that that you might know, but there are going to be some things in here that you have not either ever put the pieces together. Oh, yes. Tacey. Children. There's no children's moment, which is what's on my list. But because of that, I missed the next part. Dismiss all of the children to Children's Church. Tacey's taking them right now. Sorry, monkeys. Didn't mean to give you three minutes of Pastor Dave's message. All right. I think I'm really ready now. I'm not sure. (laughs) But we'll see. Um, This is going to be laying some foundations down, guys, that we need to grow on. God is leading us somewhere. How many know that God's leading us somewhere? Derek Schneider last week put really a lot of things I've been talking about for two years now in one message and kicked our butts and told us to go out and do something. And uh, if you've never heard butt from the platform before, it's all right, you're seated, you probably won't fall over. But um, the point is that, that we are going somewhere. God is trying to equip us so that we have more to give. Understand this, ministry is, is about you being a resource that you give out. The, the more that you have to give, the more that you own, the more that you have to give. So right now, God is making huge deposits in you. And, and what really you have in this is, is kind of a, an introduction to Bible, an introduction to theology, an introduction to how God operates in the world over the next several weeks. And if you get it, your well will be dug deeper and you'll have more to give. So get this. Even if you feel like this is elementary, let it redig your well. Okay? So in Genesis 1 through 11, we talked about how God was dealing with humanity as a race, as a whole, from creation forward. Now, I want you to understand this. We were in Genesis 12, and this is where everything changes. In fact, the, the title I put on this, this little uh, chapter of the story is Where It All Began. Because in this moment, God takes his action and stops dealing with humanity as a whole, and he starts to deal with a man. God invites one man into a relationship with him and offers, through trusting him and through personal faith in him and in his promises, for that man to enter into that relationship and this single move, This one move that God made in history changed the world. 
And there's so many things that are in this, this story of Abraham. You might know his name. There's so many things in this story. We might, I'm hoping we get through it all today. I'm going to give us a lot of room. We might get through it today. We might get through it next week. If we get through it today, I'll be really happy. It won't throw off my timeline. If we don't get through it today, then that means that Jesus was trying to stop us and to make us think about something. So will you bear, will you, will you bear with me on that? Will, will you just flow with Jesus on this? Okay, so, so who is Abraham? Abraham is one of the pinnacle people, not just in the Bible, but in history. Um, if you are at all aware of the conflict in the Middle East, that conflict is between two of Abraham's children. Uh, literally, it is between Isaac and Ishmael. And, and the Islamic faith traces its lineage back to Ishmael, who was Abraham's first son by a servant woman. Whereas Isaac was Abraham's son from his legitimate wife. And this conflict that was between these two siblings still exists today. It is why we will read about Jerusalem in the news sometime in the next few days. Because literally, this conflict that started in the tents of Abraham goes throughout history. And the three major faiths of this world, Judaism, which is the, the religion of the Jewish people, Islam and Christianity are all what's called Abrahamic faiths, which means that they come out of Abraham. So this person we're talking about is not just like some dude in the Bible. He's a dude who shaped human history and still is right now. Now, this is something that you want to pay attention to. Abraham is, according to Jewish rabbis, he is the first Jew. Now, that might not make any sense to you because a lot of us in here think being Jewish is a nationality, right? I mean, they have a nation and everything. But this is the thing. Being a Jew is really about your relationship to God. It's about a covenant that God made with Abraham, and it, and it started a race of people. See, God has always been about his people. The Bible, if you want to know what the Bible is really about, it's, it's the story of God and his people. It's just a history of God and his people. And because of that, we fit in there. And that's why this whole series is called Our Story. Because whether it's Genesis 1, Isaiah 53, uh, Proverbs 21, if it's Psalm 23 or Psalm 120 or Revelation 20, this is our story. It is the story of God and his people, and we are those people in the New Testament. But the first of those people was Abraham. He was the first Jew and he starts off just like most of us in this room. He starts off as a Gentile. Someone who's not a worshiper of, of Yahweh. And his name was Abram. 
Now, the reason that he's the first Jew is because before that, there had been no nations. He is, is really somebody who's coming out of, of just humanity. Abraham is ten generations away from Noah. He's out of Shem's line. There's three sons of Noah. There's Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Shem is the line that Abraham comes out of ten generations later. And the family story, if you want to catch up on it, since you didn't do your reading, is Genesis 11, 24 through 32. He's living in the area that would have been probably Iran at the time. And God literally calls him out to come and be in relationship with him. Listen to this. Genesis 12, 1 through 4 says this. And the Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And listen to this. And all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. That's a pretty powerful promise. What's crazy is this promise comes at 75 years old. Abram is 75 years old. Have we got anyone in here who's 75? We got one, two, three, four. Okay, five. We have five 75-year-olds. Okay, six. Okay. So now imagine this. God, in the middle of service, comes down and speaks to you and says, Go, leave everything you know. Leave all the stuff you got. Leave your family, your friends, your lands, everything And go to a land I'm going to show you. And by the way, I'm going to make you a great nation. The thing you're not getting here is that they don't have any kids. Abram and Sarai have no children. He's 75. At 75, would anyone else have stopped trying? I'd have been like, baby, it's obviously not the will of God. Okay, but imagine now, all you 75-year-olds, God comes today... And he says, leave everything, and guess what? You're going to have a baby. Who is ready for that course? Yeah. I think I see the 75-year-olds packing up their stuff and getting ready to leave. Because, because that, would be, that would be something uh, extraordinary, right? So what's amazing about Abram is he decides, he chooses to follow God. And this starts a journey with God. And get this, he doesn't know where he's going. God, God says to him, leave, and I'll show you where you're going later. Right? He only knows two things in this. He, says, he said that God said that he was going to bless him and make him a great nation, which means he has to have children. And it requires that he leaves everything behind. That's a pretty tall order especially at the young age of 75. But what's amazing is that that he takes that journey. He chooses that journey with God. And what's what's more amazing to me is that the journey's not easy. I mean, you think, you know, God calls you at 75. I mean, he's going to have like, you know, a padded saddle on that, that donkey. At least, right? 
And yet we find out that this, this journey is not at all easy. Abram enters into the promised land, the land that God shows him. He enters there, but there's a famine. And it, the famine literally pushes him out of the land, and he ends up in Egypt. And then if you read the assignment, you'd know that Sarai, his wife, is literally taken from him. She must have been really good looking at 65. Because Pharaoh thinks she's a hot mama, and he wants her to be one of his concubines in his house. I know there are probably other 65-year-olds in here that would probably qualify. Don't, don't get excited, right? But I expected more of a laugh than that. She's taken from him. And after, he's, after God restores her back to Abram, they, they end up going back into that land of Canaan that God had called them to. And they move out, out of Egypt, and they start being blessed by God. But then they're so blessed that, that literally Lot, Abram's nephew who's with them, can't stay with them any longer. There's not enough... Uh, Food for all of their livestock to be able to support it. So they split. And Lot chooses, get this, Lot chooses the better land. Because Abram lets him because he wants to bless his nephew. All this stuff's going on. This is not an easy road. Until he comes to the place where he begins to build his life in the city of Hebron. Just so you know, the Hebrew there, Hebrew literally means relationship. It means to be related to. And it's here that this relationship with God begins to flourish. And it's here that Abram builds an altar. Now, what's important to understand is that Abram is a worshiper. He, wherever he goes, he builds altars. Altars where sacrifices happen. Remember we talked about how sacrifices paid for our sin. And so Abram is offering sacrifice to keep his relationship with God tight. Making sure that the worship is going up to him. And that they are tight and one in this relationship. Abram builds three altars in his life. This is his second. God calls Abram later in the New Testament... The father of faith. Check this out. Genesis 15 tells us why. Verses 5 and 6 says, He took him outside, meaning the Lord. The Lord took Abram outside and said, Look at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. He said to them, So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed God, believed the Lord, and he credited it To him is righteousness. God literally takes his faith. His faith in a promise of of promised children. and, And says, that makes you righteous in my sight. It was the first time that faith had moved somebody past the place of condemnation. It's powerful. There's so much in Abraham. And Abraham literally is is the beginning form of that. From here, a couple verses later, we have the Abrahamic covenant finally established. 
Starting in verse 7, it says, He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And Abram brought all these to him and cut them in two and arranged the halves in opposites of each other. And the birds, however, he did not cut in half. Verse 17, it says, When the sun had set and the darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I will give this land. Now, I want to spend a little time here and talk about covenants. When, when you look at this, it talks about how he makes sacrifices of a goat, a heifer, a ram, and two birds. What they did in these times in history, when two people would make a covenant, they would take a sacrifice and separate it in half. And they would put half over here and half over here. And when two people, if Bob and I were making a covenant, Bob and I would make the covenant, we would make this sacrifice of this animal, we would put half over here, half over here, and Bob and I together would walk through the pieces, stating what the covenant was. Now, just so you understand, a covenant is a legal agreement. It's a legal, it's more than just a promise. It's a legally binding commitment. And so when we would make covenant, if Bob and I were making covenant together, we've got the pieces here, and we make the covenant. This is our legally binding agreement. And we walk between the pieces together. And, and the, the historians tell us that the reason that there were these two pieces here is because they were to be a witness, a witness of death. This is not a sacrifice of worship that we're walking through. It is a, literally just a death. You kill the animal not because of any other reason other than to create death there. And then put death on both sides to create a, an avenue of, of, of walking together between pieces of death. The understanding was that if you break the covenant, if you break the agreement... The way of death that we've walked will be the way of death you will experience. That's a pretty strong covenant. What's amazing about this covenant, in verse 17 when it talks about it, Abraham makes the sacrifices. He kills the animals and he, he lines them up and creates the avenue of death. But what's interesting is that it says that when the sun had set and the darkness had fallen, a smoking pot with a flaming torch passed between the pieces. And it says in verse 18, On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. What's amazing about this promise that God made this covenant is that he made it alone. The torch and the pot that's moving between the pieces are symbols of God's provision 
and of his direction. The smoking pot would be the place where food was prepared. The torch would be the, the ability to be able to see at night in the midst of darkness, not knowing where you're going. And God has these two symbols pass between the pieces on his own. Abram is only left as an observer to the promise that God commits himself to, to Abram. It's pretty powerful. There are a few, there's not many, but there are a couple unilateral and therefore unconditional promises, unconditional covenants that God makes with humanity. This is one of them. See, this, this covenant idea, and you guys want to catch this, this idea of covenant is, is a thread that goes from Noah and his ark all the way through the Bible. You need to understand this covenant, and you'll, if, you're under, if, excuse me, if you're in the Understanding God class, you're going to get a whole bunch of information, and we'll cover some of that in here as well. But covenants are how God has always worked with man. In fact, it's the only way that God works with man. From Adam until now with us, God always works with humanity through covenants. And so this is the thing I want you to gather. If you're not in covenant with God, then you are not part of his covenant people. And that means that there's no formal relationship between you and God. And it's that relationship, folks, that always, always saves us. That's why in the New Testament we have this thing called the New Covenant. It's through Jesus Christ, his sacrifice on the cross, his blood that paid for our sins. This is where the New Covenant comes in. God always deals with humanity through covenant. And that's why, folks, and this is unpopular for a lot of people, but you need to hear it anyway. That's why Jesus really is the only way. Because without blood, without his, his covenant being extended to us through the forgiveness that's in Christ, we have no relationship with God. The current covenant with mankind is the covenant through the cross. And that is why, for, those that, for anybody who, who doesn't understand why we could possibly say, how could we be so arrogant to say that Jesus is the only way, that we're the only ones that have this, this way of salvation. I didn't say it. God from the beginning has been dealing with humanity through covenants, and it is our job to get into them. We need to understand that, that every covenant that God gives was how he was dealing with man at that time. How he deals with us now is through Jesus Christ and the new covenant. Okay? If you need more understanding on that, please talk to me. I would be happy to talk to you about it. But this is a key, key, key concept. Get this concept of covenant into your heart. Also, just so you understand too, every covenant has a sign. Always. The Abrahamic covenant sign was that of circumcision. And yes, it's the circumcision you're, you've, you're thinking of right now. And all the men are very uncomfortable. 
It was a covenant of circumcision. We know this from Genesis 17. And folks, this is a big deal. Abraham and all the male members of his family, including his slaves, have to get circumcised. Now, to put this in perspective, Abraham is 99. 99. I mean, usually when they circumcise little boys, it's like a day or two. I mean, they're born and they're circumcised. If you're Jewish, it's on the eighth day and you're circumcised. It's not when you're 99. How many would know that that would be an unhappy day? (laughs) You know, it's funny. It does say also... It says, um, it says that all the members, the male members of the house had to be circumcised. And I can, it says that it includes the slaves. And I can just hear Abraham's slaves right now saying, man, it's bad enough that I'm a slave. But now this, this issue of circumcision, though, is so important. Because it was the covenant sign. Hear this. It was the covenant sign that made them part of the community of faith. It made them part of the covenant community. And without it, they were not part of the community. Circumcision, you got to get this. Circumcision and the covenant of circumcision is what made a Jew a Jew. He becomes, Abraham becomes the first Jew in this 17th chapter of Genesis. And he's already been walking with God for 24 years. This is pretty profound stuff. The issue is that this covenant made them Jews. And it produced a name change for both Sarah and Abram. Now, Abram is Abram from his birth forward. And Abram literally means an exalted father or high father. God changes his name to Abraham. Or the father of many. Some would interpret that the father of many nations. And Sarai, his wife, her name is changed from Sarai, which literally means she who strives. Or she who struggles. To Sarah which means princess. Both of these name changes change their identity. It changes, literally, what they're called. And, and, and this covenant changes not only their name, but their future. We know from Genesis 12 that there are spiritual blessings. God says, I will make you a blessing I will curse those that curse you. I will bless those who bless you. All the world, all the people of the world will be blessed because of you. That's the spiritual blessing. And then there's a physical blessing of the land that we heard about in Genesis 15. The spiritual blessing goes to Abram's and Abraham's spiritual children. Those are the people who are the followers of the Lord, God's people. In the Old Testament, that would have been Israel. In the New Testament, folks, it is the church. Those are the spiritual children of Abraham. Though true, and this is a point of of some misunderstanding in the church world today, there is also a physical blessing, a physical element of promise. And that 
promise came to Abraham's natural children, which is the physical nation of Israel. And in that promise, they were promised the land. The result of God's promise to Abraham, this Abrahamic covenant, is that for the first time, God had a people in history. Now, the question I want to ask you is this. How much can you trust God and his promises? Because sometimes we look around the room and we see that there are promises that we feel like have been unmet. Anyone ever feel that way? Don't be chicken. I've, I've looked around the room at times and gone, God, where's this promise? I'm just being honest with you. But this is the thing. I want you to understand it. How much can you trust God and his promises? Check this out. After nearly 2,000 years of the nation of Israel not having a homeland, the nation of Israel was reestablished in the land of promise that God had promised them back in Genesis chapter 15 on May 14th, 1948. And if you really dig around... The book of Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet, literally says that when God would regather his people from among the nations, he said that kings and queens, he said the kings shall carry you to your homeland and queens shall be your nursemaids. And you know who it was that that allowed for this nation of Israel to be reestablished? The United Nations. Literally the kings and leaders of the world came together after the terrible atrocities of the Holocaust, and created a nation because God and his promises are true. Covenant, folks, is how God interacts and establishes relationship with his people. God is faithful to his promises. We need to step into them. Now, I want you to understand, and I'm trying to get through this We'll see. I'm not going to push. He promised not only the land, but also an heir through Sarah. That was Isaac. Anyone ever hear of Isaac? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God. You, you might hear this, you know, in, in like a kid's story. I remember watching, um, you know, Prince of Egypt. And, and, and the burning bush happens, and it blows up in front of Moses. And he goes, he goes, who are you? He says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's got that great, like, awesome, powerful voice that I can't possibly replicate. Isaac is the second of these people. He's the child of promise that God literally names in Genesis 17, 16, and 19. And, and, and he, get this, the promise for this son and the, and the name that's given to him comes immediately after, hear this, are you ready? It comes immediately after Abram is changed to Abraham. And Sarai is changed to Sarah. There are some things in our lives that God needs to bring us to a place that we are so transformed that we can receive the promise he promised us way back at the beginning. That was this point for Abraham and for Sarah. God fulfills his word to them and and Isaac is born in Genesis Chapter 21, God had literally named him Isaac for the joy that he would bring his mother, according to Genesis 17, 19, and God, (laughs) God did it. How many know that he wasn't 
Abraham is 99 when he gets, when he gets word he's going to have a baby next year. His, his, his girl is 89. How many 89-year-olds you know are ready for the labor, you know, <laughs> labor and delivery? See, but this is the thing, gang. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what nature says if God has a word. If God has given you a word, it doesn't matter what else is spoken over you. It doesn't matter what else is going on. What matters is that God's word will live. There are many times in this story that, that this covenant, this promise of God is in jeopardy. I want you to hear this. Every covenant that God ever made always at one point or another looks like it won't happen. Abraham leaves home and they pass through the promise, touching it and never going to be able to stay there, it looks like. Then they go to Egypt and his wife's taken in Genesis 12. They move back to Canaan and they choose, Lot chooses to go his own way and chooses the best land. Sarai is taken again in Genesis 20. She must have been pretty cute. Every time it happens, every time it happens, it looks like the covenant is dead. And yet what was lost was restored. Whether it was Sarah as his wife or whether it was the land that God had promised. And every time they come through, understand this, every time they go through a time when it looks like the covenant can't possibly happen and all of a sudden they're restored back into it and it becomes obvious that God's moving and working every time. They come through it more blessed than they were before. They get more stuff. They become more wealthy. They become richer financially and blessed. Abraham needed to know that God was faithful as he looked and moved forward into the most, one of the most dramatic scenes in the entire Bible. When his faith is tested... And God asked Abraham for the ultimate sacrifice. We read about it in Genesis 22, and I'm wrapping up. Give me, give, pay attention just five more minutes. Because I'm going to wrap up a whole bunch of stuff in here, and we're not going to have to do it next week. But this is so important, you got to catch this. Verse 2 says, and he said, this is the Lord speaking, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah. And offer him there as a burnt offering. Offer him there. Get this. Offer him there as a burnt offering. On one of the mountains which I will show you. So Abram rose up early in the morning and saddled his donkey. And he took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And split the wood for the burnt offering. And arose and went to the place which God had told him. Now I want you to understand the conflict he's sitting here with. God has moved heaven and earth. He has rekindled nature inside of both he and his wife to bring to pass the birth of this boy. And now God comes out and says, take him and sacrifice him. But I want you to catch this. And this is why, folks, this is why Abraham is our hero. It's because Abraham literally... 
has so much confidence in God through all the things he'd been through, through all the ways he'd seen God move through the years, the way he'd seen God's faithfulness in providing and to continue to provide and protect the covenant. When God had seen those things through the years, he had such faith in God that he trusted him, knowing that even though he didn't understand, God knew what he was doing. Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament says this, By faith, when he was tested, Abraham offered up Isaac, who he had received the promises, was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able, hear this, to raise people even from the dead from which he also received him back as a type. Check this out. God has so moved and so proven himself to Abram, and who became Abraham. He so proved himself that he's like, okay, I don't get it. He's, he's telling me to, to sacrifice my son, but this is the thing I know. I know that God is so faithful, and God is so powerful, that even if I end up having to go through with this terrible act, I know that God will raise him up from the dead. And what's cool, what's cool, put that back up. Could you put that verse up again? It's awesome what he says at the end of verse 19 there. It says, it says, from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. You know what that means? Abraham was dead in his body. How many know that there's not a lot of 89 and 99-year-olds expected to have children? Usually they've gone through this, this thing called menopause. And, and you know why it's called menopause? Because it, it makes the men pause. No explanation needed. They've stopped being able to have babies. Scripture says that God made his dead body live. And he had proven to Abraham, he says, look, you weren't supposed to be able to have a baby anyway. Your wife had stopped being able to have eggs that could be fertilized. And you, my friend, were done. But I gave him to you out of your dead body. And, and God so trust, or Abraham so trusted God that he said, if I receive him back from the dead, I've already received him back from the dead. He can come back. God, God, if God made this old boy live so that I could have a baby at 99, he can make this young boy live no matter what. He trusted God. The story goes like this. They go to Mount Moriah. And just so you know, that's why Moriah has her name. They go to Mount Moriah and they, they take Isaac and they tie him up. Isaac is a grown man. It'd be like, let's say, 99-year-old Abraham and Bob at 6'3 and 225 pounds, strapping young man. He's Isaac, and I, at 99, I'm going to tie him up and lay him down. It's not happening. Isaac chose to allow his father to put him on the wood. He lays his son down. His son trusting him, believing him, and knowing that no matter what, Daddy, I know you love me. I know I trust you. I know that no matter what happens next, that you are the one in whom I believe. 
and in the God that you put your faith in. He lays that boy across there. He raises up the knife. And just before he's going to, literally, Scripture says, he raises the knife. You don't raise a knife for 20 minutes. He's about to take the life of his own son. And suddenly it says that an angel cries out and says, Abraham, Abraham. And he goes, yes, Lord, I was hoping you'd call. And and he says this, do no harm to the boy. Because now I know, get this, he says, now I know that you fear me. You you revere me. You respect me. You have such faith in me that, that you'll do whatever I ask knowing that I'll take care of you. What's amazing about this story and what I want you to catch today as we're coming to a close and the band's going to come up and we're going to sing a song. There's so much stuff in this, this final portion of the story. Because what God does is he directs him, he directs his eyes to a ram caught in a thicket. And Abraham takes that ram and he sacrifices it. In the place where his son was to be sacrificed. And God made the way. What's amazing about this, guys, is that as Abraham is taking Isaac up to the top, Isaac looks around, he's doing the math. He goes, Dad, you got the wood, and you got the fire, and you got all the stuff. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says this, Son, God will provide for himself a sacrifice. That place where they built that altar from that point forward is called Yahweh Yerah. And it literally means the Lord will provide. So many things come out of this. It's incredible. What's amazing is that location where Isaac was to be sacrificed later becomes the very place where the altar, the brazen altar, the altar of sacrifice sits in the tabernacle. When God builds the tabernacle and then later builds the temple, it's right there. That is the place of sacrifice. What is most important to see here, folks, and this is something you need to catch. This is seminal. This is foundational. You need to catch this because I'm going to pull it up over and over and over again. There's a pattern that God always works through. If you can find God's pattern, you can decode so much of his scriptures. In this scripture, God had Abraham to sacrifice his only son, his only begotten son. It's a picture of Jesus. It's a picture of of God the Father sacrificing his son that would cover our sins. Folks, I know I might have taken a little while this morning, but if you can begin to understand that God is faithful, that you can trust his promises, that he knows where you are. He knows how to get you through it. He knows the covenants he made with you. He knows the words he's promised you. And he knows that there's obstacles in the way. But guess what? If you just hold on, if you just keep walking, 
If you just keep on trusting in Him, He will make the way. His word is true. You can trust in Him. Because Jesus made a new covenant, we come in. And each of us in this room, I bet I could go around this room right now, and there are people all over this place that have personal promises from God. God has spoken to you, and it may look like it's never going to happen, but honey, just keep on praying, keep on trusting, keep on believing, because God can be trusted to do what he said. Even when it looks like it's impossible. Amen. Father, right now, I thank you that you are not a man that you should lie, nor the son of man that you should repent. You said in your word, hath God spoken, and will he not do it? Father, right now, for everybody in this room, Lord God, for for those of us who have a covenant with you. We've got a word from you, and it may look like it's never going to happen. Father, as, as, our, as our Sarai's are taken, and as, our, as our, our, our only sons are laid on wood, Lord, it looks like it'll never come. Father, right now, I pray across this room that you rekindle faith. Faith in your promises, knowing that you, you have a plan. And then if you made a promise, it was less about just giving us what we wanted as it was about the plan that you have to enact for the ages through us. Lord, use your people. In Jesus' name, amen.